I went to Washington, D.C. Would you like to hear my itinerary? That is the second best invention about flying. I think about a third of our taste buds are basically numb during flying. Well, what I like about flying more than anything else is Carly Simon. The risk of being killed in an airplane crash, in an airplane accident, is 1 and 11 million. I was afraid to take an Ambien because of the urban legends. That's why we still have ashtrays in airplanes. Hello, world! It's time for another episode of Smart Dribble. You know, John, I was once told when you're giving a presentation, if you talk like this all the time, people stop listening to you. But if you drop your voice sometimes and go up, then they're paying attention because they're, what did he say? What, 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 what was that? This is Kurt Schneider. This is John Ellenthal. I think that's because we are probably wired to react to change because, you know, back when we were first figuring this stuff out as humans, I imagine change was pretty dangerous, like a little rustle in the bush could have been the end of you. I also noticed in your opening, in addition to your voice modulation and your manipulative use of whispering to grab my attention and that of our listeners, I hope, that you kicked off this episode. I think in the exact way you kicked off our first episode, 42 or three episodes ago. There's something oddly symmetrical to that that I like. It makes me sleep well at night like one of those weighted blankets. You like having a weighted blanket, not like being a weighted blanket? Not being a wet blanket. And I've never slept with a weighted blanket, but I love the idea. You know, and I have not slept underneath one either, but people do rave about it. I don't have any trouble when I crawl into bed feeling uncomfortable, being unable to sleep. That is my best place. And sadly, I think the thing that I do best as a person is sleep, which is maybe not what you want to optimize. Well, obviously, it's important. But as far as it being your best, maybe not so good. I actually saw that in your LinkedIn headline. Yes. Um, (laughs) So today, John, here's what I thought we'd discuss. This pandemic keeps rolling on. And it has short-circuited everything in life, everything, and made us all pissy and upset and judgmental and short-circuited. One of the things it's taken away is travel. One of the things it's definitely taken away in travel is air travel. People do it, but oh, so scared and so infrequently. Yeah. You and I, being a business and being like everyone in business in sales, because every single piece of business is sales traveled extensively. I mean, there was about eight years in a row where I was platinum on two different airlines in the same year, which is over 100,000 miles in each airline. That's ridiculous. But we traveled a lot. And when you're doing it all the time, you don't think about it. But human nature, as you discussed earlier in this podcast, human nature is such, if you don't do something, you miss it. Kurt, are you missing air travel? Very much so. Oh, yes. Does that mean when you were doing it, you were walking around talking about how wonderful it was all the time? It's so funny. When I worked at World Wrestling Entertainment and I was traveling every week, there was a three-week period where I didn't travel at all. And before that, I was bitching and moaning every day. I'm sick of traveling. I wish I could just be in the office. And all of a sudden, I was in the office for five days a week. Those were the longest weeks ever when you have to go in every single day. But I am missing traveling, John. Yes. Air travel, John. Air travel, John. A few years ago, Kurt, probably three years ago, 
I took more than 200 different flight segments. Now, I don't say trips. I say segments because, of course, that's how they award platinum status. And you become hyper aware, which is ridiculous, of how many flight segments. So it's not tomato, tomato. It's segments. Yeah, segment, which is different than a one-way trip because you may have to stop somewhere. And that would be two segments. And I'm embarrassed to say that not only did I travel on more than 200 segments, but it got down near the end. Of, I think it was 220. It got down near the end of the year. And I needed like five segments to go to get platinum. And there was no way that I was going to get that close and not get it. And I was also pissed because the route I was flying, which was fortunately only New York to Washington, is probably the most expensive route in the whole system. I could have flown to California for less than it cost me to fly to DC from New York. So I should have qualified just based on my spend level. But they mess with you by making you spend a lot and take a lot of segments like that matters. So in order to qualify, I went to Washington, D.C. Would you like to hear my itinerary? New York, D.C., have a cup of coffee. D.C., New York, have a drink. New York, D.C., have a cup of coffee. D.C., New York, have a drink. And you went back and forth four times in one day. It was not correct. Oh. Um, a much more efficient way to do it. I don't think I could have explained to my company why I was going to D.C. And I actually went there four times in one day. Because it seems like the first leg of the trip would have accomplished my goal. I went New York to Philadelphia, to Charleston, South Carolina, to DC. And then on the way back, I went back to New York via Philadelphia, bought some really great pretzels at the airport in Philadelphia. <laughs> and I qualified for my platinum status. So John, hang on, during that time, I don't think I enjoyed any of it. It was a serious drag. But what we're going to do, instead of being, this is not airline pet peeves too. Your entire premise is that now that we're not doing it, we have a fresher mind and we can appreciate the wonders of it anew. Correct. So we're going to be talking about the joys of flying, not that old 70s movie and the book by Erica Jong, The Joy of Flying, whatever that was. I don't but, think that was her book. I think her book was Fear of Flying, Correct. Oh. It kind of blows your whole premise. <laughs> but wasn't it like a lot of sex and flight attendants so. and stuff like that? Believe it or not, my cousin was Erica Jong's literary agent and uh, did that book. And I think she still is today. You know what I miss about flying, John? Please. The greatest invention in the history of inventions for mankind. The hole in the cloth napkin in first class so that you can button it on your shirt and it allows the napkin to stay up as you're sitting upright on your shirt. Well, of all the things to miss about the miracle of flight, you miss the chance to fasten your napkin in your balloon yes. first class cabin to your, uh, to your shirt button. Yes. It's an amazing invention. I don't know why they didn't think about that for non-airplane dining. Are you, are you at all taken by the fact that we can hurtle through the sky at 550 miles an hour, 35,000 feet above the Earth's surface in some sort of aluminum or composite tube? Did Incredible. that do at any point? That is the second best invention about flying. Yes, it's amazing. The third is being able to swap out your Bloody Marys for gin, for vodka, and have gin Bloody Marys on the airplane. When you have your Bloody Mary, does it taste like a Bloody Mary on the ground? Tastes better, better. I asked you this question because one of the strange phenomenon about flying is that 
everyone makes a joke about airline food. And while it may or may not be good, the truth is our taste is affected in flight. I think about a third of our taste buds are basically numb during flying. And also because of the dryness in our nose, obviously smell is a big part of tasting food, which is not to suggest you should take your food nasally. That's part of the experience as well. Apparently, your ability to discern salty and sweet tastes are reduced, but your ability to detect spice and sour and bitter is about the same as on earth. So food does taste different. And I have had more than a few Bloody Marys myself, all with vodka on an airplane. You know what I miss the most about flying? The number one thing that I miss about flying, which is a byproduct of flying, is the ability to look out the window, look down at the earth, and realize how insignificant I am and my problems are. And I just find that liberating because, you know, you get wrapped up. I've always thought that when you're at home, you focus on the little things. But when you go away, you get to sort of focus on the big things because the little things aren't completely consuming your attention. And I get that same feeling when I'm in an airplane and I look down and go, I'm worried about this presentation or a family thing or a whatever thing. And you just look down going, I don't matter at all. And somehow that makes me feel better. I agree. And it never gets old either. There are some people who think they're too this or that to look down, but never grows old, right? It's amazing. You think there are people who are too self-important to look down out the window of an airplane? Yeah. What's their objection? They don't look down? So what happens is because they think it would it's not cool enough. You know how when you're lucky sometimes coming back into New York and it flies up the Hudson River. That's so beautiful. And you get to see all of Manhattan. It's gorgeous. Some people that won't look around. Oh, no, I'm too good because I live in Manhattan. I don't need to see it. It drives me crazy. I've flown up the East River, but I can't think of a time I actually flew up the Hudson. Yeah, well, I have. <laughs> you probably had your napkin affixed to your top button, too, at the time. You know what else is a joy of flying up What's now? That? What's that, because, because we flew so much, we got upgraded a lot and our companies flew us up there. So... Like you, I've been lucky enough to fly up front most of the time, which is very tough, by the way, to go back, right? So when you walk onto the airplane, someone once told me years ago, when you get on the airplane, you always want to be turning left. You never want to be turning right. And there was a time my family and I went to Asia on a vacation. And And I used to go to Asia all the time on business. And every time I flew up front, this was not only was this the first time I was turning right on the airplane, but we kept going right past business, past economy plus, all the way back till we ate our knees for 14 hours or 15 hours. May I tell you why that was actually a very good thing, Kurt? And since we are discussing the joys of flying, this is very relevant. Yes, what you're going to say. Very relevant or is it just sort of a simple test? You're either relevant or you're not. But why can't there be degrees of relevance? Highly relevant, I think, is fair. Okay. So you know how it, despite the fact that a lot of people are afraid of flying, and I I guess it kind of makes sense because you are hurtling through space in an unnatural way, but it is unbelievably safe. In fact, the risk of being killed in an airplane crash, in an airplane accident, is 1 and 11 million. Compare that to driving, which all of us do and very few people are afraid of. The risk of being killed in a car accident is only 1 in 5,000. So that's amazing. One in 11 million versus one in 5,000. It's incredibly safe to fly. However, if you are going to fly, the safest place on an airplane is back by the tail. 
which makes sense. You have a much greater likelihood of surviving an accident back there than you would elsewhere. So you actually did the safe thing. Good for you. Well, what I like about flying more than anything else is Carly Simon, by far. Yeah, that's going to require a little bit of explanation. While I do love Carly Simon as well, and you're so vain, you're so vain, you probably think this song is about you, Kurt, don't you? Well, don't Warren you? Beatty, that was about. Well, that's been what most people think. I don't. Has she ever confirmed it? I know at one point people were offering her like $50,000 for charity to reveal it. Other people thought it might be Mick Jagger. You walked into this party like you were walking onto a yacht. Okay. What about Carly Simon and flying? Anticipation, John. And that has to do with the speed at which ketchup departs its container. Also, the anticipation of a trip, right? That's what's so amazing. By the way, on some of these long trips, I used to travel with a guy and we'd go to Japan a lot and we'd get on the plane. We'd be talking for about... 45 minutes, have a bunch of cocktails, then he would put on sunglasses, take an Ambien and say, I'll see you in Tokyo. Boom. He was out for the next 14 hours as I'm wide awake because I was afraid to take an Ambien because of the urban legend stories of the guy who doesn't drink at home, gets on the airplane, has one drink, then takes an Ambien, and then the airplane has a mechanical issue, never takes off. They can't wake the guy up. When they finally wake him up, he's a little drunk and out of it because the Ambien, and he gets carted off and not allowed to fly till the next day. I've never heard that story, but I don't think it would keep me from taking an Ambien. But what I used to like about it when I was working tons of hours in corporate America was traveling pre-Wi-Fi on planes. Yes. No one could get you, right? No one could get you. I actually looked at it as vacation. How sad is that? No, it's true. I used to feel that way too. I still think I would take the advantages of Wi-Fi over non-Wi-Fi, but you do lose that, you know, that insulation of I am in a place that's, you know what, good luck getting to me with one of your business crises. Even when Wi-Fi came up, I would never uh, do it because unless I had to, because I like the idea of no one being able to get you. I also love about air travel, John. What's that? Talking to your passenger. And sadly, what's happened is twofold. One, no one talks at all anymore. They put on their headphones. I've been one of those people too. And number two, if you're lucky enough to fly up front, they're so into these pods that you're all by yourself in your little thing. Whereas before, even up front, flying to Europe from Los Angeles or even to Japan, you would sit next to someone and invariably, not only would you talk, but people are so open to sharing. I don't know if it's the altitude, if it's the drinking, if it's the emotion, if it's the you. strangers, but you find out everything about these people. It's unbelievable. And then you land and you're done. You know, you and I are both pretty chatty and I'm sure we both have had some great conversations on a plane, but I like those pods, Kurt. I like the fact that leave me alone. I I got my own little world going on here. I control everything. I'm a fan of those pods. Was it Greta Garbo? No. Who's the one that said? She has some great quotes about flying. I want to be alone. One of the great things about flying these days compared to the old days is that people can't smoke on planes anymore. Do you remember being a kid? And there would be a smoking and non-smoking section. And if you were in a few rows of the smoking section, you were basically in the smoking section. It's amazing that it used to be okay. Although I will tell you that the ventilation systems on airplanes are insanely good, which is probably important. But I think they actually replaced all the air in the cabin every three minutes. That being said, I really don't want someone smoking near me on an airplane. 
I agree. However, when you use, and by the way, they used to be able to smoke cigars on oh airplanes. Oh my God, how horrible. <laughs> and a lot of airplanes still have ashtrays because a lot of airplanes have been around for a long time, but there are still ashtrays on airplanes. I actually read something once, John, that said the reason why it's not because they're old airplanes, which most are, have been refurbed. Yeah. But actually, in case someone decides to smoke and go against the law, they do not want a live cigarette flying around the plane. So they actually still put ashtrays. So in case you do break the law, you can at least put it out. That's why we still have ashtrays in airplanes? That's what I've, that was once someone told me that once. All right. I did not know that. Have you ever used the air sickness bag? Unfortunately, I have. And I will tell you, those things are indestructible and hold much more volume than you could ever imagine when you see them in their flat form in the seat back. Okay. I've had some exposure to the travel industry in my career. And there is a legendary story about Bob Crandall, who for a long time was the CEO of American Airlines. And he had this idea that the airline could save money by removing one of the olives in the salad. And so they did. Do you know how much money they saved that year from removing one of the olives? $116,000. Pretty good. $40,000. This was his cost savings idea. Brilliant. Took away an olive, saved 40 grand. Give me an example of something really wonderful that you witnessed on a plane. Maybe it was an act of generosity, something like that. I've actually witnessed a bunch of them, but one recently was a person sitting next to me up front gave up his seat for a, a military person. Yeah. Have you ever offered to do that, Mr. First Class? I have, and I have done it many times. You would only do it if it were a short flight. You wouldn't do that for anybody else if it were across country, right, Kurt? That's probably where the rub lies, what doesn't is, it? What's your threshold? How many miles in the flight for you to be that generous, Kurt? It was pretty easy for me for sh- from Chicago to New York. From Chicago want- to New York, you are the world's most generous human. The military, <laughs> old ladies, anybody, take my first class seat. You deserve it. How, how big a... Now? No way. How big a tease was this? I was flying to London on business, and for some reason, I had to stop in Boston. It makes no sense from New York. And I get on the plane in New York. And the woman says, oh, you're so lucky someone canceled or whatever. And there's a seat first class. So we get in Boston. We have a layover for about an hour and a half. I'm, I was coach going to Boston. We have a layover. They said, oh, we're going to pull you up. I take all my stuff down, move up to first class, push my seat back. I'm getting ready with my little napkin with the hole in it. I'm looking at the menu. We're about to take off. And the flight attendant says, excuse me. Yeah, a person came that had this seat. So you have to go back to oh, coach. Gosh. So this is one of the joys of flying for you? No, it was that was a sad one. You're right. But what I love is the whole Leo DiCaprio, catch him if you can, you know, 1960s, the allure of jet life, you know, and they had songs about it and fashion about it. It was all like the jets, jet culture, not jets like West Side Story, where the jets versus the sharks. Thank you for that. Have I ever told you that you're really interesting, Kurt? Thank you, John. You're welcome. Do you mean that with a straight face? No, I, I thought that was, um, that was magnificent. One of my most fun plane trips, my second son had just been born a month before, and I was flying from San Francisco, where I was living at the time, to London. That's a long flight. That's a long flight. And I was working for a startup 
and we could not afford to put me up front. So I was in the back and I went to check in at the gate for some reason. So I had to check in. I mean, at the counter before the gate. And there was the longest line in the economy line and there was none at the upper class. So I went up there pretending I didn't know what was going on. The old Mickey the Dunce or Columbo. Okay. And I went up there pretending I was Columbo. I get it now. Or uh, Tom Hanks and Big, right? I don't get it. I said, hi, I'm checking in. She said, oh my goodness, you're on the wrong line. That line's over there to check in. I said, oh, you know, I just had a, my wife just had a baby a month ago. I haven't slept more than four hours a night. I'm just not injured. I'm so sorry. I'll go stand that line. She says, well, hold on a second. Is this your first time flying Virgin Atlantic? I said, yes, it is. She said, huh. So you've never flown upper class. I said, no. She says, well, you are now and gave me a ticket. Upper class, it gets even better. This is before, you know, this is year 2000. We got a menu to eat on demand, which you didn't have beforehand. You got a snuggle suit or like a sweatsuit that you put on, which were like pajamas. A person came and gave you a massage and then it got even better. Because I was flying the Austin Powers Virgin Atlantic flight. There was a shagadelic stand-up bar in upper class that I used to go and stand up. It was fantastic. You know, Virgin really did some great things with the in-flight experience. Their colors, I think everything was like in a purple hue. And they tried. And you know what? It doesn't take much effort. But your your story reminded me of two things. One, the fact that there was no online check-in. And two, Virgin. So... The first company, the company that pioneered online check-in, I'll give you a bunch of guesses. You won't get it. Virgin. Not correct. However, I could see why you'd say that. It was actually Alaska Airways, Alaska Airlines, rather. They were the first to do it. And they were bought several years ago, not by Virgin Atlantic, but by Virgin America and got rid of the Alaska name. But they were the first to pioneer it. So that might not have happened to you if you had tried that in 1999. One thing I miss about online check-in and all that also is two things. One, I miss the paper ticket and that ticket jacket. Seriously? Got. All right. And when I worked at Disney, we had our own in-house travel and our ticket jackets were Mickey Mouse on it, these white things. That's it was fine. very cool. The second thing I liked about it is it forced you to check in and a lot of times I would be able to use my gift of gab to get upgraded. You know what? It, it reminds me that traveling is basically a game and you see how many things you can game. get away with, but just get. So when I flew to Australia last time, I was fortunately in business class and they did give you pajamas. So I thought it would be fun to see how many pairs of pajamas I could collect because they had extras. And again, it's a game. And I came home with like four pairs of pajamas and I gave one to my wife and I gave a pair to my kids or whoever I gave them to. And I had a pair. None of us have ever put them on, but I felt like I won that trip because I came back with all of these pajamas. And it is, it's, it's a big game. So you, I'm going to tell you a quick story that will probably sound familiar to you because you're in it. Uh oh. You and I were making a TV commercial. Did we go to California to do a TV commercial a couple of years ago? Yeah, it was great. Okay, so you and I went to California to do a TV commercial. And we went to this place for the shoot that is where Hollywood goes whenever they want to do like a plane or an airport scene. So they have gate sets and they've got airplanes and cabins. But they had at this place the Pan Am experience. And since you talked about 
catch me if you can. And that romantic notion of travel in the 60s and that fun Pan Am bag and how it was just a big party in the air, as opposed to a slog. We had the Pan Am experience and we sat in a Pan Am lounge, a recreated Pan Am lounge. And it was so cool. You know what they're doing now during the pandemic when people are not flying? A, they were having flights to nowhere. So you'd get on the plane, it would just fly around for three hours and land. And B, some airlines are saying, we're not going to leave. We're just going to park at the gate. You come in and you can come on board. We'll serve you dinner and then you get off. You know what I've always wanted to do? They have these zero gravity flights where they get like a 737 and the plane flies in parabola. I don't know if the plural of parabola is parabola or parabolas, but I'm going to go with parabola. And at the top of the parabola, you're for about 30 seconds, you are weightless. You can watch videos online and that must be so cool. And then, you know, you come down and you come back up again and you get another shot of weightlessness. So I would love to do one of these zero gravity flights. How cool would it be, Kurt, to be weightless? Be awesome. But if I'm sitting next to you, I'm making sure you have one of those air sickness bags with you. Yeah. If I don't have a headache, we shouldn't have a problem. But that clearly is an issue because the plane is basically, you know, going up and down, up and down. It's like five grand per seat. I think something like that. I happen to love, especially going places, right? Coming back is always different, but the anticipation of what you're going to do, where you're going, and the airplane ride, the journey is actually fantastic. And speaking about journeys, we're at the end of this journey, John. Before we end this journey, though, I need to ask you a question because you talked about flying to a destination and, you know, it's- Yes, I am a member, John. Yes, I am. It's not going to be the question I ask you. I'm sure you've been to beach resorts, you know, whether it's a Caribbean island or whatever. Please tell me that you're not the kind of person who in the middle of February shows up at the airport, heading to the Caribbean, dressed in a ridiculous straw hat, a Hawaiian shirt and flip flops on. I am not. I agree. I never like that. What is with that? It's I'm the, February where you took off. I'm the guy when the plane opens there and invariably it's not a jetway. You walk down the stairs and that warm air because you're leaving the East Coast in winter is so delightful but I have a sweater on and I have a coat on. But that warm air, when it first hits you, is one of the greatest joys in the world. Fortunately, with micro fleece, you don't have to be as bulky as we used to be. But when you're walking down those stairs, you don't wave like you're somebody, like you're the president, do you? Of course not. You were trying to wrap us up. Let me uh, let, me let you continue that. All I was going to say is, boy, we're, we're proving sort of human nature that you miss what you don't have, even if at one point it was driving you crazy. It's feeling pretty glamorous and pretty cool right now because we haven't done it in a long time. And I really enjoyed reminiscing about this. So thank you, John. Thank you, Kurt. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening. Aloha. Ciao. 